I hate to ruin the surprise for those that are upcoming, but we have been doing something kind of fun with birthdays for our middle and high school youth. We've been delivering cards kind of door-to-door that would normally come from a parent to my wonderful son, to my amazing daughter. The cards are signed by God and in all cases have a Bible verse. 80, probably even 90% of the time, it's the one we just heard from 1 John 3, chapter, or 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And I, and I have to say that every time I write that verse in a card, the hair on the back of my neck just stands straight up because this verse makes it actually possible to sign this card from God without it being a forgery. Why? Because it's a promise, a claim on you, a claim on me, on all of us. It's not a feeling, although, yeah, I do get a, did an amazing feeling at hearing that promise, those words. I hope you do too. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just an idea or a concept. It's not a philosophy of life. I hope it would lead us to live our lives in certain ways, but, but it's not just that. It's more than that. It's a, it's a truth claim on all of our lives. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be of God, and that is what we are. Now we know from other preaching here in this place that whose child you were in the ancient world made all the difference for your identity, uh, for your present, for your, for your future. It really was kind of Kind of, it, it might have freed you to be or, or maybe even kind of trapped you in who you would be. And that's true here for sure as well because this claim was made by John to a church that was in turmoil where many false claims about Jesus were pulling people away from the truth. The identity of the young church was at stake during this time and she needed to return to this most basic, basic promise. Now, in our day and in this place, the crisis of identity seems to be more kind of wrapped around the individual than the community itself. There's so much pressure for a child or a teen or even even an adult, young and old, to find themselves, their true selves, to figure out what it is they need to be, what it is they're supposed to do. Now, I want to say there can be some beauty in this. There can be some freedom in this. Um, you know, to not be stuck in this sort of predetermined mold. We don't have to go back that many generations to, to find a place where for most people it was like, this is what you will be, this is what you will do, this is where you will go to school, this is where you will live, this is who you will marry. That can be oppressive for sure. But there's also this enormous pressure on each individual, even from the time they are small children, to get on with this work. Figure out who you are. What will you be? It's trapped inside you somewhere, and you need to break it out. Now, here's the irony and the great tragedy of this. All of this focus on the individual, all of this effort on our identity and putting putting into finding who we really are has led us to one of the greatest crises of identity we've probably ever had in our nation. You can do a quick Google search on crisis of identity and you will find loads of results. Or just type in that you're looking for help finding your true identity and you will have a library of resources, books, people who can help you, coach, all that kind of stuff. And that's not always bad, but 
I would argue that most of the things that I've seen in a limited search is missing this one simple foundational truth. The core of your identity doesn't come from you. It comes from outside of you. Hear that again. It comes from outside of you, child, because it is sourced from something much bigger than you, a story much longer than yours. The gospel word from John today makes a claim on us. And perhaps John uses the word children because it gets to the origin of our story. You know, for us, uh, getting ahead of the identity we may have to discover or think we have to discover in ourselves and first getting at that foundational identity given to us before we were even born, plugging our story into a much greater story of hope. You know, before we discover the great secret of who we are, let us see whose we are. Because whose we are really identifies us at our core. John makes it clear that the love God has given us is in the past tense. It's done. It's certain. It's finished, as Jesus says on the cross. It is finished. But the verb tense for this, for this word to talk about God's love carries also an impact into the future. So it's done in the past, but it's going to carry over into our future. In other words, it's a complete and encompassing love and identity for us. What does that love look like? Well, go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus lays it all out right there and in other places as well. But here, in, in our hearing of this word today, the word used for children is not just that we are a bunch of you know, kids playing around a loving father, but that we are heirs. We're beloved by God, like children. I think sometimes we, we kind of have this image that we are just you know, children in a classroom where God's the great teacher. But the image here is more that we are children in a household where God is our father. We're in a family, in other words. So we are heirs. Think of it like this. Uh, when a parent says, maybe you as a parent have said this before, I just want the best for my children. Well, that's what happens with heirs, with children in that way. They inherit something. They are, they are given the best. All that the household has, all that the father possesses, becomes a promise to those who are heirs. And it's interesting because being heirs in the household of God is not like what the world offers because the resources in the world get more limited as more children kind of come into it, right? But it's the opposite with God's household. The more children, the more inheritance there is. See what love the Father has for us. It doesn't matter how big the us gets. The bigger, the better. Now, as I said, there's a crisis in this community that John's writing to, uh, and there are multiple outside and even inside threats that seek to tear this young church apart. So after these lovely words about being children and heirs, we have this business, you might have noticed it, and it might have tripped you up as it did me a little bit, this business about not sinning. You can't see God if you're a sinner kind of a thing. Well, there it is, right? There had to be something. There has to be a condition. There always is a condition on our identity, what we want to be or what we think we should be. So we have to be perfect. We have to be without sin. We can't abide in this household if we sin, apparently. 
Okay, let me give you a quick test here. I want you to put up your hand when you start to recognize the words I'm going to read, okay? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Know where that comes from? Pastor Bill made it up. No. <laughs> it comes from the Bible, and it comes specifically from the book we're reading from. It comes from 1 John, just a couple chapters earlier in verse 1. In other words, John is not saying that we will not sin anymore in this household of God. This isn't something where you have to be polished and perfect and dressed in the right clothes just to get in. And all this talk about not sinning will be explained a little clearer if you dive into 1 John and go to 2 John and 3 John. I, it's a week's reading at most uh, for 10 minutes a day. I invite you to read through that little gospel there. But here we are shown that as children we have a choice where to abide. Abiding in sin, abiding as a child in the household of God. We have a choice where to live. We have a choice to be claimed by this promise or by another. Now, it couldn't be more beautiful claim that God gives us here. I told you, again, the hair on the back of my neck stands up just writing it down for, for another young person. But there are other options. We can abide in sin's household. We can turn our back to God. God will not forsake us in this, but we can forsake God. As children, we have the freedom always to run away. And there are ample opportunities for this. An abundance of other households that would make a claims on our lives and trap us in allegiance to them. And that's why God's claim on us in Christ is so critical. Because these households will ultimately fall short. Their promises will fail. These households, too, they change, they rise, they fall. We know if we've lived enough years to know how they change. What different things draw on our short-term desires. And we don't know what uh, ones will seek our allegiance today. I mean, I have no idea what post-COVID normal will be like. I hear people say, I just want to get back to normal. But normal is never the same. It's always something a little bit or a lot bit new. Maybe the household against God will rise up because something terrible has happened in this pandemic. And how could a loving God let this happen? Be drawn away. Maybe there will be a household of escapism, you know, trying to offer us more and more ways to leave the tough realities of our world and just escape into our own little private place. Give us a new kind of isolation. Because man, sin loves nothing more than to isolate us. Maybe there'll be a household of kind of anxiety, putting up walls of protection against anything labeled as an outsider, anything labeled as a threat. Or maybe, maybe there'll be an awakening of faith because this confrontation with our own mortality has, has us taking a hard look at bigger and truer promises than the world has been offering us so far. Perhaps all of those will rise. And we will have as much choice as John's community did such a long time ago. I don't know what the new normal will be. But the power of this claim of God in us cannot be overstated. I know we hear it all the time. But we hear it all the time because it's fundamentally important. We were talking to our youth, and we're kind of in this series about what difference Easter makes. You know, we say, Christ is risen. 
right, we know it, but what does that mean? What difference does it make? I think this beautiful word, this claim speaks to Easter's power in our life and in the life of the world. We did that exercise that I just, that we did with the children's sermon with our youth this, this week outside around the fire pit. And it may seem like an extreme example, but the bottom line is that Mandela refused to abide in the household the world gave him. God's claim on him as child overpowered any other claim and overflowed so that he even proclaimed that promise to his captors. And it's fascinating to me that oftentimes the only place the church grows, truly grows as a whole, are in the places that have dealt with or are dealing with oppression. You see, we have this word. When Jesus comes to his disciples, he comes physically. He eats fish with them. I love that. Just think of every fish dinner you ever have as an, as an occasion to experience Christ's presence with you. Every breaking of the bread that you have, every encounter you have is another opportunity to share this promise that Christ gives us. Because that's what we carry. And when Jesus leaves his disciples after unpacking the scriptures for them and pulling out these promises for them and see, see how this was foretold here and there, see, see what my coming and my new life that I'm giving to you is for you as a promise, is for the world as a promise. And then go and be my witnesses. That's the title of the sermon today, Child Witnesses. We have that claim. We have that promise that we are children of God. That is what we are. The children of a God who would die for us. Children of, of a God who has overcome death and the grave. Who has overcome an eight by six prison cell. Who has overcome a pandemic who has overcome our losses, our anxieties, our fears, and who calls us into hope. We share that hope. We are children of God. We are witnesses to this hope in Jesus Christ. Christ indeed is risen. Proclaim it. Proclaim it, children. Amen.